You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hey, it's Lurk. I'm the host here of the Van Flip Podcast, and thanks for checking this episode out. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. If you've been here before, then you already know the drill. If you're listening to us on a platform or device that you can rate or review us and you enjoy the podcast, go ahead and give us the highest rating you possibly can. It greatly helps us out. And while we're at it, go ahead and share this episode with a friend or on your social networks. And speaking of social networks, go ahead and follow Lambgoat on Facebook and give us a like. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Lambgoat. You can go ahead and tweet the podcast at VanFlipPodcast. Go ahead and let me know what you think of the show or what guests we should have on. Go ahead and shoot us a tweet right this second. Make sure you check out Lambgoat.com for all your metal and hardcore news and updates. I'd like to shout out our latest Patreon supporter, Alec. Thanks for joining the Patreon. Also, shout out to our other Patreon supporters, Chris, Jeff, and Lachlan. Thanks for being so metal, guys. Also, heads up to all of our Patreon supporters. I've mailed out the sticker bundles last week. All Patreon supporters get first access to all of our episodes and bonus content, as well as an invite to our Discord chat and some Lambgoat VanFlip swag. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, you can visit patreon.com slash thevanflip for more info. Now buckle up, kiddos. We got a doozy of a podcast up ahead. We touch base with Ryan Morgan of Misery Signals and find out what the band's been up to the last couple years and how it's been since Jesse has rejoined the group. We talk about Carl and definitely the new album, Ultraviolet, coming out in August. Oh, yeah, what's this? I feel this. Oh, yeah, this is uh Oh, no. <laughs> Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. Welcome to the Van Flip Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, once again, we are doing the quarantine special and we are doing webcam interviews. I am joined with Alex uh, once again. And today we are joined with Ryan, who some say is the ringleader and the front person of uh, the band Misery Signals, but also at one point was in Seven Angels, Seven Plagues, even further back in the day. So welcome to the podcast today. Ryan, how are hey, you doing? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you guys uh, across the screen here. You're in Canada, and what's, I think, unless I'm horribly misinformed, you're still <laughs> in Canada, right? A couple members of the band are in Canada. I'm not. So we're going to oh, spread well, out uh, through the northwest of the U.S. and into western Canada. So I'm actually in Boise, Idaho. Oh, oh. that makes wow. sense now. I wouldn't have guessed that. But you're not wrong. We got uh, Canadian members. We've always had people from Canada in the band. So um, I can see how you got there. So you live in Idaho now. How long have you lived in Idaho? Uh, I'm going into my 11th year now. So. Um, How'd you end up there? Uh, my wife's from here. Oh, well, that explains it. Yeah. 
All right. Well, maybe he also, they just missed all those barn shows they used to play way back in the day. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I don't know Jack about Idaho, but hey, that's cool. Well, all right. I apologize. So uh, I guess you got, what's, I, what's the status of Idaho as far as COVID and the lockdown goes? Like we're on yellow where I am. So some things are open, but like takeout, but you can't dine in. Kind of right. Yeah, we didn't we didn't get to hit too horribly bad. So we're uh, kind of climbing out of that first wave and they've reopened a lot of stuff. And, and this week is the first week you can go out and actually like be in a restaurant and that type of thing. So we're kind of on that that upswing. But uh, we'll see. It's been a lot of cases spiking up uh, since they reopened things. So, yep, that's the yeah. case here. That's for sure. We had, I think, 3000 new cases yesterday just in the county. <laughs> I'm wow. in Florida, so that's why uh, we reopened things not, I mean, a couple weeks ago, and people are just packed at the beaches here, so uh, right. it spread pretty quick. But anyway, um, so it's been a long time coming. You guys have finally started to release new music, and you have a new record coming out in August. Um, so I know you guys have been jamming for a, a little bit you guys have teased that you were recording and releasing new music for the last like number of years <laughs> what took so long between then when jesse kind of came back into the band it, to now and and are you using any of that material like from that time on the record yeah so um jesse coming back and and playing with the band was um sort of sprung from our 2014 reunion tour. We wanted to do uh, a 10 year reunion of the first record that we did of Malice and the Magnum Heart. Um, so in 2014, we got together and, and toured. And um, that's when kind of the idea of, of throwing this sort of legacy lineup back together and um, writing music with that iteration of the band again, took some, took flight, I guess, right? So, um, and that was six years ago. And um, between that and now, it's like it was only an idea during that tour. Um, and we didn't really kind of start in earnest until a year or a year and a half after that. Um, and we got back together and, and sort of began writing songs and jamming. And it, it was sort of a, a little while between the time where it was an idea of something that we thought could happen and thought would be cool between then and the time it became something we actually were going to do and believed could happen. So, um that was the beginning of the delay. And then since then, it's kind of just more of that family life stuff we were talking about where everyone's sort of in different places geographically in different situations. Mm -hmm. um, so we were only really able to do it in, in increments, right? We'd get together for an increment, write some stuff, go back to our homes and, you know, write on our own independently, um, send some demos and stuff to each other. So um, there's a bit of a holding pattern to the whole writing process. And then, um, and then to be honest with you, like, once we did get together, it wasn't um, always perfect, smooth sailing. As you know, anyone that's been in bands has <laughs> can understand that there's sort of a curve to to how these things work. And and with our group of people, um, and particularly uh, myself as kind of a, a quirky and eccentric person, um, you know, it took us a while to kind of find find what was going to work for this band. That was a group of people that's you know, 15 years out from actually having worked together before, you know? So mm -hmm. it took us a while to kind of get back in that groove and, and figure out what the record was going to be and, and how it was going to sound. So that was kind of the main, the main curve of it. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It was, um, 
I watched the Yesterday Was Everything documentary last night in preparation. So, like, oh, uh, cool. you guys have kind of always been kind of low-key on the inner workings of the band. So it was interesting to get that kind of glimpse and, uh, you know, understanding for the dynamic. So uh, I could see how it would be hard for you guys to kind of, you know, be on the same page. And also, you guys are all split across the country anyway. So, But yeah. uh, whenever you guys were... Writing and recording, it always said Boise, so you living in Boise makes a lot of sense now, just because I was assuming it was still Milwaukee and Edmonton. So, but yeah, um, what can fans expect from the new record that will be out uh, in August? Like, what is it much different with Jesse and the band, the writing process, and everything? Um, yeah, I mean, that's I guess I'll address those separately. Like, um, what they can expect, I mean, check out the two songs that are out already for sure. Um, those will give you a good idea. Um, but I think what they can expect is kind of just the most distilled version of misery signals that, that they've had before. You know, it's kind of like, um, it feels like it's been reduced down to the just most potent parts of what the band is and, and what works best for us on this record. Um, so I don't know. I think, I think it's an awesome record. And I think that, if you got into the album, or I'm sorry, if you got into the band at different album stages, you know, if you've been listening for many years, or if you just got into it on our, our on our last record, Absent Light, um, you're not going to be disappointed by this. There's going to be something there for you because it, it does kind of reach back to some of those. But um, I think structure-wise, it's a little more focused than some of our previous records. Like some of the songs are a little uh, less wandery, <laughs> and um, uh, it just kicks ass from beginning to end as far as energy wise. So um, it's a, it's a condensed pill of, of misery signals, I would say. Um, and then as far as um, the difference of Jesse being there, I mean, obviously we have his voice and his lyrical contributions on there. Um, and that's something that I think people have connected to for a long time with the band, um, particularly um, if you started listening to our band when Malice came out in 2004, um, you know, a lot of the things that connected and worked for that album were, were Jesse's sort of um, easily discernible, kind of um, easy to connect with lyrics. Um, not a lot of um, disguising of his intents or kind of his emotions. And, and I think you'll find the same thing with this with this record um, as he, he wrote a lot of cool lyrics for it, too. So Now, you, this is coming out in August, and that, that release... Was that settled upon pre-pandemic, or was that the result of the pandemic? A result of the pandemic. Um, it's been sliding a little bit. Um, I, I know you mentioned us us teasing the release. You know, we kind of thought we had it all together um, for something a couple months back, um, and most of the delays were were not pandemic related. Um, but. Um, but yeah, we, we had that discussion whether or not we we're going to continue to push it further back um, because we wouldn't be able to tour on it immediately and that, those kind of things, um, which I think a lot of bands are struggling with. But um, we ended up deciding um, after some discussion that we were going to kind of keep keep the release date the same and, and not let the pandemic push it back further. Um, just because, I, I mean, of anything else, I just think, you know, people who are stuck at home need some music, you know, like um, 
So if we can give that to them, great. You know, angry music. potentially we'll make uh, make less money on it or whatever because people won't be able to, to come to the shows or you know aren't aren't able to work and all that. But it's not really what it's about. So um, it's a pretty easy decision for us to just just put it out anyways. Now, if there hadn't been a pandemic, how much touring do you think you would have done anyway? I mean, sure you would have toured, but you guys aren't road dogs at this point. Yeah, we're no longer road dog mode for sure. Um, we have two tours that are still um, kind of in purgatory have been rescheduled and we're hoping that they're going to be able to stick for the end of the year. Um, and it's about a month's worth of dates uh, just in North America. So, um, so that's a good amount of touring um, considering we're going to, you know, tack some other continents onto that as well. So um, more than I'm accustomed to for the last few years, definitely. But um, maybe not what I was doing in, in my early twenties. Yeah, for sure. Now you, sorry, what's your, what's your full-time job or what's your main gig? Uh, right now. So, um, I'm still, uh, unless you're living off misery signals, royalty checks, but that seems <laughs> unlikely. Yeah. man, man, uh, I should show you some of those checks that we get, uh, <laughs> from, from Warner brothers, like who owns our, the first half of our catalog. Uh, and it's laughable. Um, Not a lot of zeros on those, huh? Uh, Maybe at, after the decimal point. <laughs> right, the zeros before the decimal point. <laughs> um, so I uh, I produce and record in a studio, so I work with other bands a little bit um, on the music side. I also uh, do martial arts, so I teach jujitsu. That's one of my jobs, and then just I, I bartend as well. So kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I wanted to take it way back. Um, Let's do it. <laughs> to, to the, so, as Dave mentioned, you were in Seven Angels, Seven Plagues with Kyle, I guess, and assorted others who you know, mm-hmm. weren't in the misery or didn't end up in the misery signals camp. Uh, I, I guess circa 2001, uh, Jasmine's Lullaby Days, mm-hmm. um, you guys were like, uh, I don't know the right way to put it, a, a hot commodity up and coming band in, in sort of the meta metalcore scene. And yeah. that album came out. Now obviously you might disagree. That's from my perspective. Maybe that running <laughs> Lambo perspective. You want to there was a lot of there was a lot of buzz, I'll say that. No, the consensus um, is true, yes. Yeah. A lot of buzz about the band and you guys put out Jasmine's Lullaby and you know everybody seemed to dig it. I dug it. Um I think Dandelion was probably one of my favorite early metalcore songs, um, awesome. uh, Matt Mixon version. Um, nothing against uh, the other Matt, I guess. In any case, uh, then it just sort of seemed to fizzle out, disappear, I guess. Um, everything fell apart, and I was just looking for a, um, you know, a little background. You know, what happened to that? That up-and-coming band that suddenly uh, vaporized. Yeah, uh, that's that's a great question. So yeah, we'll have to go back uh, quite a ways for that. Um, <laughs> in the time I mean, machine, um, the band started uh, in you know '99, and by 2001 and 2002, when after Jasmine's Lullaby was out, um, yeah, I would say say it started to pick up steam for sure. And there was, there was some interest from people. Um, and towards the very, very end of the band only though, 
because we play we, we were largely ignored for <laughs> most of the time the band existed but um towards kind of the very tail end of it um which i guess is why um you know it seems confusing for people that that's when the band broke up or disappeared but um the band the band just broke up man like <laughs> uh, a couple of the guys decided that um they had a calling elsewhere um and didn't want to do it anymore and would, the, would that be jared logan the drummer yeah specifically yeah. in my mind i kind of feel like he was the first one to leave and he was yeah extremely religious or something yeah yeah exactly um so he he chose a, a church related path and, and had to leave the band because of it um and um, it was it was a weird time because that was right when Jesse had joined the band. So Jesse, the first, you know, the singer of Misery Signals who we've been talking about, um, was actually coming down to join Seven Angel Seven Plagues and had been in the band for, you know, days <laughs> or, you know, what felt like only days. Um, and one of the first things we were set to do, we had played a couple of shows with Jesse, but one of the first big things we were set to do was tour up to Canada and play uh, – the memorial show for the guys in compromise who, who died in the crash, um, which, you know, um, Dave mentioned earlier, the, the documentary, there's a bit more backstory to that. If you're interested in, in finding yeah, out, I was going to um, say that this was all covered kind of in that documentary, which was very interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want more depth to that story, the yesterday was everything documentary, um, is a good place to, to source that. Um, but we were heading up to do shows, um, that were, were commemorative memorial shows for, um, a couple of the guys in the band um, compromised who didn't make it through that crash. Um, and Jared just wasn't willing to do it. He left the band and then uh, Matt, the other guitarist didn't want to do the shows as well. So um, it was kind of like, it was kind of heartbreaking for us because um, it was something that seemed important for us to do. Um, and yeah, and that kind of drove a big wedge between, between the group because we were, it was sort of like an offensive move to a lot of people. Um, right. and, uh, fortunately my brother, uh, who had literally just graduated high school, like months prior, um, and, you know, is, is a gifted drummer. Um, even then, you know, was, was awesome at, at drums and could just pick up those songs. And so he filled in for the tour and we did it with one guitarist as a four piece. And just so we could still play those shows. Um, but yeah, that was the kind of, and I don't think there was more than like 12 hours in my life where a band didn't exist. It was like <laughs> seven angels was done. And like by the next morning we had like plans for what became misery signals, you know? So, um, yeah, I still, re I remember getting that EP sent to me, uh, you know, the, the very first sure. one, 2003, I guess. And that kicked ass. I actually broke that out a couple of weeks ago when I was cleaning my basement. And <laughs> still kicks ass. Oh, um, yeah, but so I, I remember though thinking, yeah, this band's gonna go somewhere, and then you know, like I don't know when or how far after, but yeah, I think you were quickly picked up by Ferret, and um, right. the rest is history, I suppose. And then you know, your first album with Jess, well, your first your first full album, which featured Jesse as well, of Malice and Magnum Heart. That's sort of, and maybe I'm. You know, maybe it's my perspective and it's incorrect, but I don't think you'll argue with me. That's sort of an iconic metalcore uh, record. Um, and I was wondering if you had any sort of thoughts on why that record in particular seems to have really resonated with, with fans. Yeah, um, I mean, 
I'll go with that. If you want to call it iconic, we'll go with the consensus again on that. So appreciate it. I'll agree. Um, cool. Thanks, Dave. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, from from where I'm sitting, I mean, um, I could point to a few things about that record that are good, but there's there's like a, a ton of ton of albums we can do that too, right? Like, what are the the strong points of it? Um, but I think just the time that it came out, um, it it was what some people needed. I think, is particularly in in kind of the metalcore scene where there's a lot of uh, I, I don't know what I would call like poserdom and kind of like um, I don't know people just working on their image and trying to do a cool cool band. You know what I mean? And um, see, if I was cruel, I'd, I'd I'd make you name names right now, but I won't do that. <laughs> Maybe yeah, offline, I'll, I'll ask you. Yeah, totally. We can, I'll send you <laughs> some DMs after that. Um, but I, I don't think that. I think we were fortunate enough to avoid going that route with malice and make it seem really heartfelt and and honest and immediate, rather than um, kind of image based and 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 uh, I guess hollow, right? Like in speaking uh, particularly about, you know, Jesse's writing and the experiences that he had gone through right before writing those songs. Um, it just kind of lands emotionally. Um, and anytime you can, you can land emotionally, you know, you, you're already one. It doesn't really matter particularly as much like what the riffs were doing or, you know, what the arrangement of the song is like, as long as it lands emotionally, like it's going to be, it, it's going to arrive for some people, you know? So, so that's what I would point to. Yeah. How how much of how much do you think like of your core audience, uh, whether it be in Milwaukee and in Edmonton, how much do you think they helped kind of get your band known? Because it feels like like you were saying, connect to with an emotional level, like with Jesse's lyrics and stuff. And you know that album came out fairly, you know, close to post accident that that he was involved in and also, you know, they lost members of the Edmonton hardcore scene or in metalcore scene. So like, this was also like pre-internet almost kind of like on the verge mm-hmm. of like, you know, message boards were starting and stuff like that. But like, like you, like you said, Alex heard the EP. So you guys were already sending it off to like, you know, outlets and stuff like that. But how, how do you think the emotional connection to the actual scenes helped the, the recognition of your band in the early days? Do you think that, played a a positive in a dark way to call it, but like obviously the emotional connection with the lyrics and the music, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was huge, man. I think, uh, I think word of mouth, like people telling each other, like, I love this. You got to check it out. is kind of the only reason the band did anything, you know, like, I mean, and not to, not to discredit Ferret for, you know, helping us put out those first few records and promoting those. They did an awesome job, but like um, in that kind of void before we even signed, people were listening to our first EP that we kind of self-released, like they were doing it because someone handed it to them. You know, we didn't have marketing or really a label as a, you know, a couple of friends of ours from Milwaukee put it out, um, but it was their first, their first release. Right. So it wasn't like an established thing. So I think that was everything for us in the, in the early days of the band for sure. Cause you guys, now, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, you, you kind of led with like on the EP, the, uh, the summer ending in June, you know, that was on there. And, uh, that's like, you know, the kind of like the, 
the big song on that album. So it just makes, uh, it, it, I always want, now that I watched the documentary, I wondered how, how much that helped, you know, with the beginning days. Yeah, it's definitely a weird, weird circumstance to be, um, to be in, you know, like there's kind of this, this tragic element to it. And, um, you know, you want to honor that and not like feel like you're taking advantage of it or anything for sure. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a powerful thing to be able to write about loss, you know, and, and, um, yeah. So it's something that everyone can, can relate to pretty quickly. So I think that, um, yeah, that's something that landed. Uh, so then after that album, you know, obviously Jesse departed and, uh, you had three more albums. Um, I guess, uh, I don't know in front of me, I'm trying to remember which ones mirrors came out on ferret and controller was Ferret, And yep. then that was probably, let's see, absent light. Yeah. So in between controller and absent light ferret, um, I guess <laughs> went kaput, sort of, kind of, and you guys ended up on basic, right? Which is, yeah. um, which is a strange, uh, well, seems strange, you know, to the casual metal hardcore observer. Right. Um, what happened there? <laughs> I assume you guys, you know, after ferret sort of dissolved, I assume you, there was, you know, you guys could have gone to any one of the, the usual suspects as far as labels go, or was there some, some weird contractual obligation somehow basic is involved with Warner brothers, <laughs> something I'm not aware of, or was no, there let me speak to that. Know, let me speak nothing to that. like so that? Basic, basic is awesome. Basic is, uh, is our friend Barley from London. Um, and what happened after ferret, uh, got sort of absorbed by Warner brothers, um, and then like fired from their own label, somehow um, yeah. is we wanted to kind of just move away in general from, from having someone else owning our music and putting it out. Um, and so for absent light, we did like a crowdfunding thing. We just decided we we're going to make all the decisions ourselves and put it out ourselves. Um, and we were essentially, we we're pretty much able to do that. Um, and a couple of the, it was a huge learning experience for sure. It wasn't incredibly easy, but it's becoming easier. Um, and it was awesome. <laughs> I loved it. So, um, so the, one of the challenges we ran into though, was that we didn't really have, um, uh, net networking in other countries. Um, I mean, we've toured over there obviously, and we knew a few people, but most of them, um, um, most of the label offers that we had or, or ways we could have put out the albums um, would have involved a lot of giving up rights that, or having other people own our music, which is what we were trying to avoid. So um, the reason we ended up um, distributing our music in Europe through basic is because they were just really cool about the arrangement they were going to have. And they were just going to help us push it overseas where we weren't, we weren't really able to do that on our own. So, so they're kind of more of a partner, um, and I would say we're still a band that's not on a label, uh, as we're kind of making all the shots and literally, you know, paying for everything and, uh, you know, in some cases recording the music, you know, so, um, right. and in, in 2020, Misery Signals is like, uh, a total free agent. Like we're not really working with managers anymore, not really working with labels anymore. Um, we do some 
some booking on our own, but that's kind of the one place where we, we reached other people like distributing the records overseas. Um, we have help with booking shows. Sometimes we have help with, but otherwise it's like me and Kyle <laughs> are, are, are doing things from our phone. You know what I mean? So well, that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome, man. It's the way, you know, and I think making a, I don't know how you make a band start, but like, if you have any audience whatsoever, you can do like so much on your own now, man. It's like, it's incredibly different than when I started making songs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be, um, you know, the case, obviously more often than not, you have a lot of bands, established bands that uh, right. sort of go on that road, whether it's periphery or clutch or whoever, um, you know, when you don't need the label to sort of um, shove that down people's throat in whatever manner they want, which usually involves a lot of money, which you have to recoup. Um, it just seems like cutting out that that middleman is if you have, you know, the time and energy to do some of the grunt work seems like the way to go. Yeah, and, and totally, it is a trade-off, man. I should I should include the reality of that because some days I don't feel like doing it, and it is a lot of work. But um, but yeah, if you can manage, man, it's 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 pretty cool because you learn a lot along the way. I feel like I just in this is our the second album that we've released on our own, and it's like I feel like we already did it so much better than we did with Absent Light. So right, and now uh, so that was three out that you put out your debut LP, and then you released three albums with Carl. Um, mm-hmm. On vocals. Now, I'd be shocked if you hadn't read Carl's statement in August of 2018. Um, I read it, yeah. Yeah, which basically, you know, I got to give him credit. He sort of laid bare, uh, you know, everything that transpired from his uh, joining the band to his um, ouster, if you want to call it that, dismissal. Um, and, you know, sort of took 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 a lot of the the blame upon himself for for mm-hmm. i guess some of his insecurity i don't know how to properly uh, encapsulate it but some of his insecurities led to changes in his behavior which was probably you know perceived a certain way by you guys and the whole thing just kind of uh, i suppose unraveled but i was curious as to you know what were your gut feelings after you read that that statement that that Carl put out yeah man i was really glad that that Carl wrote that um it was, you know, kind of, kind of the opposite of uh, what the problem was, which is like I think Carl had a lot of things bottled up that he wasn't communicating. You know what I mean? So it was, it was pretty unexpected to see something as in depth as that. You know, him putting out publicly, and I think that speaks to him. You know, maybe maybe working on himself and and kind of figuring a few things out and figuring out what he needs to do to like communicate that type of thing because I think the the main, you know, wedge that was in the band, uh, when he, when he left, uh, you know, was a big part of it was him shutting down a communication and not like giving us any of that info, you know? And like, um, so the communication among the band, like if it was anything like that manifesto he was able to write after he left, like, I think we could, it could have resulted differently, you know? Um, but it was nice to hear a lot of that and, and it was nice to have him kind of, um, assume that role of like taking, taking credit for his part of the kind of, um, I don't know, the gap between us, you know, like right. it's, it's, did you guys, 
I was just going to ask, uh, did you guys communicate after that? Have you communicated in the interim? Have you had any contact with him whatsoever? Uh, I think most most people sent him messages after that came out. I sent him a message personally after that came out. Um, we haven't had a huge like reconciling conversation or anything like that, but um, I definitely followed up with him after I, I saw that message. Okay. You know, it's interesting. You go out there on the, the interwebs um, and – you know, there's a Jesse camp and a Carl camp, it seems like. I, <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's amusing. Um, you know, well, why Carl should be on this? Oh, I miss Carl. But then, no, Jesse's better, blah, blah, blah. Right. Is that something that you guys ever even entertain or think about? It's just you guys, well, I guess the bigger picture, you guys generally read what's out there. Are you one of those bands that sort of uh, read things and, and let that, I don't necessarily, it's not going to make decisions for you, but perhaps um, influence you one way or another, one way or another, not just regarding a vocalist, but, you know, if you read a, a you know, a, a deafening a tidal wave of comments saying we need more singing and choruses, yeah. God, no, don't do that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, does that sort of thing ever play a role for you guys? Or are you one of those bands that just, no, we're not going there. We don't, we're not going to read it because it just puts us down this road that we don't want to travel upon. Right. I, I like to think I have pretty good barriers as far as like not letting myself scroll down a comments page very far. Um, I mean, with social media, it's a little harder to avoid people's opinions you know what i mean like because they're arriving in your inbox and in your comments like you're getting a notification about it you know um so i see some of it and like i totally i totally get that if you connected to one of the records more than the other um you know and you have favoritism as far as one of the singers goes like i get that man i totally get that because i have the same thing with some bands and and certain eras of their work mean a lot more to me than, than other eras so i know that's a reality and i don't take it too much to heart um I think as far as other members in the band, I'm a little better about like not reading or caring what is being said on the internet. Um, right. I think a couple, uh, and again, I won't name any names, but I think a couple members are like a little more sensitive to that. Um, <laughs> but I, I, but I don't think it messes us up too bad as far as like, you're asking if we're going to respond to those and like change what we're doing or, or write in a specific direction. And, and I, I, I think we've always had pr uh, pretty good bearings as far as like, following, you know, scratching our own itches and, and following our own own visions for the band and not really trying to serve, serve something up for a crowd um, that right. may or may not want something. And that's, you know, that's just a perception that's, you know, based on some weird small sampling of, of whatever you've read anyway. So it's, it's better, I think, to ignore that stuff. And I think maybe saying that I do is idealistic, but I try to. <laughs> yeah, well, bravo. More power to you. Um, <laughs> The, the, uh, there's a lot of bands out there, I think, um, you know, they might not cite you, uh, overtly, but there's certainly a lot of bands, I think, that were influenced by Misery Signals. You know, Counterparts is one that comes to mind. You can't, can't really listen to Counterparts and, and, and deny the Misery Signals influence. And I think they'll, you know, Brendan and company readily acknowledge that. I was curious, in, you know, your heyday, whatever that is, <laughs> and, We'll say 2000, you know, from 2005 to 2010, those years. What were some of the bands that you guys looked up to in your formative years um, that um, maybe not, it's not as if you were trying to emulate them sound-wise necessarily, but perhaps their their ethics, their, their approach, um, 
that kind of thing. Are there any bands that come to mind? Um, yeah, man. Um, and I guess it kind of depends how far, how far back we go. Um, and I'll probably just speak to me personally. I think other people in the band have, have other sure. things, but like, um, I'm, I think like when I started writing seven angel stuff and, um, early misery signal stuff, I was still really just entrenched in kind of like that metal and hardcore scene that I, I was kind of raised on. And I was really interested in a bunch of the bands that were doing stuff that was kind of melodic and still intense and heavy, like Shy Loon and, uh, Cave In, um, and, you know, uh, some bands like that. So that's what I would point to early on. Um, and you're talking about kind of 2005 on, um, I would probably have, um, opened my writing palette a little bit more by then and, um, would be looking to stuff more like, I don't know, Meshuggah and like Propagandi and stuff like that. Um, right. Uh, where it's not exactly where you couldn't mistake it for a misery signal song, but there's still elements that would overlap. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I must ask Kaven, were you one of those people that were pissed off when they put out Jupiter? Dude, I was very confused when they put out Jupiter, but I, I love Jupiter, man. I think it's so good. I, lo- I appreciate all, all eras of Cave In. Even, yeah. even, even the 2019 record, I think, is awesome. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I love Jupiter personally. and yeah. um, But it was amusing how they sort of disavowed briefly, uh, right. you know, disavowed sort of their their roots or the heavier side of things to the degree where it's like, we're not even going to play those songs. Um, I know that band that, that obviously changed. There's such a good case study in like, uh, you know, changing your sound, right? Like, you know, in developing. Cause it's like, right. they're it's all like five different bands. And, yeah. And they were like so young when they started. And then like, yeah, they, they like the, the change between until your heart stops and Jupiter is just so stark. Um, <laughs> it's like, I point to that all the time when I'm having that discussion. It's like, how much should bands change from record to record? You know what I mean? Yeah, I get, yeah, that's a difficult one. Yeah, I mean, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. There, there's mm. fans that'll applaud your bravery for, for changing things up. And then there's the other side that'll just, you know, you've not remained faithful to your roots and we hate right. you. So Dude, the other, the other good case study, I think, is Radiohead, right? Cause like mm. being a nineties child, like that's another big band for me. And like, I, I should point to that whole section of like my musical palette too for, Mm-hmm. influence because Radiohead's a huge band for me yeah um, but they're also a great study of like you know is is kid a the end of the band or the beginning of the band you know i don't know it's a huge discussion yeah yeah uh, that's a difficult one for me that was sort of the the end and i i don't want to say that derisively they they still have merit and put out good material after that but i you know i definitely okay computer is my favorite um and that's kind of a cop out i suppose it just is but it, it is interesting how they went you know they started out super uh, commercial as commercial as that sort of music was at the time and then just got more obscure and uh, uh less palpable as time went on but you know they they did things their way which i think is pretty much you know what everybody respects music aside yeah totally and i think i think you can also think about producers too because like I don't know how much of the public like realizes, you know, how much a producer's touch changes an album, you know, changes the right. way something's perceived. Cause like Nigel Godrich producing those first couple records made them sound kind of how they sounded, you know, and, and when, uh, those other records started coming out, it's like, 
you know, you have different people working on the production and stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. Well, I'm still pissed at him because I'm a big, uh, not personally, I don't know the guy, but I'm a big, <laughs> I'm a big, uh, you know, I was a big Pink Floyd fan back in the day and uh-huh. the let Roger Waters, who was, you know, sort of the, the ringleader of Pink Floyd, at least in their biggest years, um, hired Nigel to produce his last solo album. And right. I dig the album, but there's not a single damn guitar solo on it. And oh, it still ticks me off. Dude, like, case, sorry, a- I just wanted to vent. <laughs> no, while we're on this this kind of tangent, I'll give you a fun fact about Misery Signals. Uh, in like 2012, 2011 maybe, we did a Pink Floyd cover for a video game. So if you haven't found or heard that, we covered, we covered us and them. Um, okay. So you can did still you, you can did find you do that it better than uh, Between the Buried and Me? Uh, I would never say a disparaging word about my friends <laughs> in Between the Buried and Me. <laughs> But I think we kind of did. Oh, yeah, awesome. I think we did. Interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. So, uh, hold on. Okay, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask is, uh, let's see, that, that song has a sax solo in it, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Do you guys use a real saxophone or a keyboard? Uh, we do. Or, or is it like a metal version? Yeah, there's, there's, it's kind of metally. There's kind of a guitar solo-y version at that point, okay. and then there's like a synth uh, thing leading into it. So we sort of split that that part up and didn't didn't copy it exactly. Okay, because that that was my only gripe with the the, the between the buried and me version. Yeah, I mean they were so faithful, but then uh, to not have an actual saxophone, um, you know that 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 still hurts me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did a little bit more uh, of an interpretation, so we we gave it kind of. Uh, which is, you know, uh, kind of ballsy and probably ill-advised when you're dealing with source material like Pink Floyd, one of the greatest bands of all time. But uh, we had to do it. Well, I'm going to have to dig that up. Uh, I don't know why I never encountered that. Uh, I think everyone hated the video game, and it, like, disappeared right away. Do you remember but, what video uh, game it was? Uh, it was called Homefront. Um, but I think it was some kind of promotional thing where it wasn't the songs weren't actually in the video game. They just released an album alongside it, like, songs inspired by the video game somehow but it was just it was a bunch of a uh, bunch of bands of kind of our ilk that were on it and i'm trying to I, I probably can't think of any at this moment like oceano was on it and um who else was on it i don't know well yeah, check it out. it's, in the, it's in the dregs of the internet somewhere <laughs> well i know where to find those uh <laughs> you specialize in those man <laughs> Yeah, lambgoat.com, I think, is considered the dregs of the internet. Pseudo dark web. So I think, but, um, you know, stepping back and looking at the band and your career, I, you know, I feel like you guys were in that, I'll say, unfortunate position where you were one of the bigger metalcore bands, but not, just not big enough to, you know, it, not, an August Burns Red or an As I Lay right. Dying, you know, prison stuff aside, but not big enough to, I guess, make a living at it and keep, you know, that's your 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 gig. And um, I don't know how close you guys ever got to that. Uh, obviously, when you have families and, uh, you know, you get of a certain age, you have financial responsibilities that are that are not easily met, certainly not easily met. Uh, the same way they are when you're 22 and in a van and really don't have any expenditures other than yourself. Uh, but obviously, you know, some bands are able to get over that hump and, um, I'm just wondering how close 
what is that separation, you know, as far as you guys versus an August Burns Red, you know, someone of that size? You guys are the next tier down, if you will, from a commercial success standpoint. Uh, let me ask it this way. Is there – could you guys have suffered through and sort of, um, you know, made that your thing, or was there just not enough potential um, in in that realm, whereas it sort of had to come to – and end uh, from a career standpoint. Right, right. Yeah, man. I, and, I, and I apologize for not uh, articulating the question. In a, no, in no, a it makes digestible sense. matter. I'm not sure how to communicate it. <laughs> it makes total sense to me, man, because I've always, I've always joked that Misery Signals is like uh, the smallest big band or the biggest small band, and we're like kind of on right. that that cusp. And like, yeah, we, we've we're big enough to be kind of like known and discussed. Um, but not big enough for me to have any money. So <laughs> it's like, um, I, I think what you're, you're, you're pointing to is like, could we have like pushed it further and like made more of a career for a band that was, you know, that is, you know, somewhat respected and known, but um, not really, you know, doesn't really have a ton of traction, I guess. Um, and I, I wonder the same thing, man. Like, I don't, I don't really know. And like, I, I don't even, I don't even know if it's would be a good or a bad thing if, if we had been bigger than we were, right? Like if the band would have had more, more gravity, it would have been harder to make some decisions, you know, and my life would probably look a lot different if I was trying to, to maintain the momentum of, um, you know, whatever records we did 10 years ago, if those were the defining moment for us, you know, that pushed us into kind of like, um, a sustainable career path, um, right. maybe we'd be trying to repeat that and, you know, it would have imploded and we would have made a couple shitty records trying to impersonate that thing that, that got us attention. Right. So it's like, maybe it's a blessing that we stayed the size that we stayed, you know, and like, I have no qualms about it. Like I'm not, I'm not disappointed by anything right. that we've done or like this, the, you know, quote achievements that we've made. Um, Cause I think it's awesome. And I, I love that people appreciate the band because I think we have some really, really like um, passionate fans. Like I get a lot of like really heartfelt messages from people. It is and, very cult. like. Oh, what's that? It is very cult like a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I think that's a special thing, man. So like if, if we had to sacrifice that element of it for me to be, have been paid more or something or have, you know, played bigger shows or sold more record numbers or streamed more, whatever. Like, uh, I, I don't know if that would be a good sacrifice. No, you, you may well be right. I think that's probably one of the reasons the band is so well respected. Uh, you didn't have that, that era of forced output. Um, you know, there's no perceived, um, you know, try hard <laughs> aspect yeah. to the band. Um, and I think that does definitely play to your favor as far as your legacy goes. Um, yeah. Thanks man. I don't think that's worse. some sort of like, uh, you know, um, that's not us making the decision and being like too good for that. You know, it's just sort of, we've always been at that spot, right? It's I, I, there wasn't a moment of truth where it's like, you know, the devil's contract was right there and we didn't yep. sign it. It's just like, this is just the hand we've been dealt and this is the size we've been. And, and, we just we just ride it out, you know. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much how life goes, you know. Very <laughs> very seldom does someone sit down and have the master plan and then execute it. It's just yeah. the way the freaking ball rolls. But sometimes, yeah, as you said, it works out for the best. 
I think also the music is a little more cerebral than the bands that you suggested, Alex, like uh, Asley Dying and stuff. I think it's, I don't know, there's a lot more emotion, I believe, in like the tone and the structure and just everything to do with the musical part of Misery Signal. So not to say that that's a negative in any way, but it probably does not catch the wide-ranging audience that like a general rock band would you know, capture. Sure. Sure. And I think you nailed it right there, man. It's like, um, the, the sort of like quirkiness of it, um, is, is, is the reason that it's, it's loved, but it's also the reason that it's, you know, it doesn't land for a lot of people. So, right. So to touch base again, that's something that was, uh, kind of interesting to me in the documentary last night. Um, you know, obviously the documentary, follows you guys on the reunion tour. And it seemed like most of you guys didn't foresee Jesse coming back in the band. And it was very interesting to kind of get that, you know, look into the band after everything had already transpired. So um, what kind of led to just him coming back to the band? Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing was just we had – a lot of hatchets to bury and that, and that happened on that tour, you know, like we were able to kind of communicate, um, and get over some of the stuff that some of the gripes that, you know, forced us to break up when we were a decade younger, you know, and we were able to sort of confront that and, and work through a lot of it on that tour. Um, and, and it just seemed like the next logical step to try and, um, to try and heal the relationship of, um, you know, the whole group of us by sort of putting some more art out, you know, putting some more music out. Yeah. Um, does it feel more natural with him in the band? Uh, and I don't say that in any disrespect, uh, towards Carl cause controllers is one of my, is my favorite misery signals album. So I, yeah, you know, I am a fan of Carl, but, um, does it feel more natural with Jesse in the band, even though there is like a 10 year gap in there? Uh, I mean, natural is probably not the word. It feels more old school. Like it, <laughs> it feels more like the roots version of, of the band. Interesting. Okay. There, um, sorry, my mic was muted. Uh, obviously as we, we discussed, the album comes out in August. We don't know what's going on with the touring world. Um, right by virtue of, you know, the, the health situation, the unfortunate situation. But aside from immediate plans, uh, what, do, what do you, you know, in your crystal ball 10 years from now, you know, where do you think Misery Signals will be or won't be? Do you guys still think you'll be releasing material? Or, um, and it's fair to say, I have no, I have no freaking clue. Right. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm just thinking about, this, if I was looking at my crystal ball 10 years ago, like I would have been totally wrong about this album coming out. So <laughs> I, I hesitate to answer that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Nobody knows anything. Um, yeah. But, but you're not one of those people that has a hard cap on saying, you know, I'm not going to be playing metal core when I reach the age of 45 or whatever the, the magic right. number is. I don't no, know. no, I passed my hard cap a long time ago, so I'm just going to keep going. 
There you go. <laughs> well, um, we're coming up to like a, the time limit we kind of set for each other, but so I just want to run out uh, some of the Instagram questions that we kind of have received. Okay, yeah, let's go. Um, what was the most fun recording? Uh, I'm assuming record to record is what he's talking about. Um, yeah, I, I probably, man, I mean, it was super fun to do Malice because that was the first time we were in a real recording studio, like with a producer. So I would probably point to Malice. Um, but it was also super fun to do Absent Light because I was trying to figure out how to do kind of all that stuff without guidance, you know, and we were, that was largely self-produced uh, by me and the other guitarist of the band at the time. So um, that was fun for another reason because it was kind of exploratory and like free feeling. So either both of those were super, super fun. What is your favorite Misery Signal song? <laughs> My favorite Misery Signal song? Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Uh, man. Um uh, Us and them, the Pink Floyd cover. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good one because I didn't write it. <laughs> uh, tough, too hard to answer. I can't answer it right now. Man. I'm All sorry. right, no, on the spot. Um, favorite Deftones song. Oh God, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my favorite Deftones album is um, "Around the Fur," but my favorite Deftones song is probably "Diamond Eyes" because it's one of the sickest recordings I've ever heard. Mm, that's my favorite album from them. Nice. Uh, I think tomorrow isn't tomorrow the uh, tomorrow's the twentieth anniversary of White Pony. I think. Yeah, they're gonna oh, do some live yeah. stream thing or listening party. Uh, I, that was that was I like how you, I, I bought at a midnight sale at a record store, like back in the White day, Pony. Those, yeah. Was yeah, I record. don't think I ever went to one of those. <laughs> My bedtime was always nine p.m. I, I, you might not be old enough, man. <laughs> no, I think we all are. <laughs> Uh, what would your dream con- tour, what would your dream tour consist of? Bands still together or broken up? Holy shit! Uh, that's uh, that's a great question. Uh, probably, I guess I would throw Deftones on there because they're top of mind right now. Um, Metallica would be on it too. Maybe maybe Megadeth, but I'm also going to just put Caven on there too. Interesting. Uh, that that uh, I just had a quick question I had to ask. Um, sure. That reminded me. Say so what is the uh, have you ever gotten feedback or found out that someone um, I don't want to say famous but uh, unexpected was a fan of your band other than the oh. Fallout Boy dudes? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, man. Uh, honestly, St- uh, Steph Carpenter like put us on a Deftones like playlist. Uh, on it oh. was on like satellite radio. Um, and they were all just sitting around after, I think it was after Gore came out and they were just hosting a radio hour and they all went around in a circle and played songs that they liked. Um, yeah. And, and, and Steph Carpenter put, put one of our songs off, off absent light on there. And it blew my mind when someone sent that to me and I was stoked. Wow. So yeah, the tour, that's kind of recent if it was Gore. The tour yeah. can be attainable. You guys, it's, both have albums coming out. It's, it's perfect. Yeah, Let's maybe, go. Maybe Gorja can't make it on this rescheduled tour. You never know. <laughs> right. How was working with Devin Townsend before and now? Uh, awesome. Devin's the man. He's he's super cool and, like, so chill. And you would never imagine, like, how kind he is listening to his, like, uh, chaotic music. Um, but he's just the man. It's great. Um, it's The only way it's changed is he uh, doesn't have – weird 
dreadlocks as a skullet anymore, and uh, he is less stoned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you guys still playing Furnace Fest next year? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. I'm super looking forward to that, too. That's, that's a great lineup. As of now, we can kind of plan for that, but who knows? You know what I mean? Right, yeah. Fingers crossed, of course. Um, would you ever release a tab book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we have plans to. We're, there are plans slowly moving along for that, so you can expect that. Um, and will you reissue of Malice? Uh, I would love to. I would love to, uh, especially since that was sort of uh, a couple, like the era that we were on Ferret, they didn't release our records on vinyl, really. So I'd love to be able to put those records back out on vinyl. I don't know if it's possible, but if it is, we will. Speaking of that, where's those, where are those box sets hiding? Dude, we only made a few and we <laughs> sold them all out. I've, so. I've been trying to track one of those down for years now. Um, oh, man. There's, I think there's only 500, so you got to eBay it from somebody for like 300 bucks. I yeah, I mean, if, if they'll put it on there, I'll definitely grab yeah. one, but that's the problem. <laughs> no one's putting it on there. Yeah. Do you have any addresses of homes that Dave could invade? <laughs> I actually, I literally have the addresses of everyone that bought those because I ran the Indiegogo campaign when they ordered. So <laughs> nice. No, I mean, there I've you go, Dave. I've definitely tracked down people on Reddit and Disogs, but I got one lead, but he's he lives across the country and it's in storage somewhere. So who knows when that will ever happen? But um, will you just, ever just throw your email out there and just say email me personally? You know, yeah. If you have a box set, yeah. <laughs> Hit me up, Dave at Lamgo.com. Email me. Let's talk it out. <laughs> uh, will you ever put the first EP, which we previously talked about earlier, on uh, the streaming apps? Uh, yeah, so I, I don't want to spill the beans here, but um, the 20-year anniversary of that is coming up. So um, we're hoping to do something special with it at that point. Do you guys plan on doing any live streams during this lockdown situation, or do you guys get together that often? We can't, dude. Like, we all live in different spots, so if we travel, it'll be too difficult. But hopefully, I mean, maybe once the, the travel restrictions and, you know, the opportunity for us to all be in the same – because we have to cross an international border. Uh, there's some complications with that because we yeah. have Canadians. Where does your brother live now? Uh, Portland. Okay. Oh, not too far away. Yeah. Well, Not too far away. Well, not so as far as Milwaukee. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Milwaukee was much farther. He's a six and a half hour drive from me now. Do you have anything else, Alex? You want to add in because we're, you know, we're hitting the hour mark. Yeah. So, no, I want to respect his time. I think we've covered all the uh, the important things. Cool. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and taking this much time out of your day with us. Um, looking forward to Ultraviolet coming out in August. Already got my pre order in, like a big fanboy I am. And, uh, yeah, man, thanks for your time and appreciate you coming on. I can't wait to see you guys, whether at Furnace Fest or if you guys come down to the south, uh, you know, Jacksonville uh, or North Florida, that'd be great. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. So it was great to have you on, man. Awesome. Yeah, we'll get down there as soon as we can. And I appreciate you guys and what you do. And I think Lamp Goat's great and you guys do awesome stuff. So um, thanks so much for, for taking some time with me, man. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, Ron. Awesome. Take care, guys. See you. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. 
Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.